0: Welcome to episode 129 of the MX Vice Show. We have an action-packed show ready for you today. MXGP of Latvia is done and dusted. Well, it was far from dusted, but um, we're going to talk a little bit about that and we're going to talk about the upcoming round in Germany. I'm James Burfield, your host, and uh, with me, uh, I'll introduce those guys in a minute. Um, but before I do that, uh, we're going to welcome uh, one of our sponsors, which is Parts Europe. Parts Europe distributes spare parts, accessories, and rider equipment for all motorbike segments in Europe. We support a sport as fortified free to four and moose house brands and their support of world elite MX riders like Calvin Vlanderen, Jorge Prado, Lagenfelder, Guadagini, Jonas Bogers, and nine times world champion Four ambassador, Tony Caroli. Your Parts Europe dealer has access to all the big brands for your motocross and enduro bike. Neck and Pro Circuit, FMF, ODI, Cycra, Rentful, Recluse, and many, many more are in stock and ready to be shipped. Check out their website at partseurope.eu or contact your local Parts Europe dealer. If you've not seen the 4 range uh, this year, then you need to, um, as worn by uh, the likes of Cooper Webb as well over in the U.S., um the kits are just they've just made the biggest comeback i think for for a couple of years um it wasn't as good as say the Villapoto days but the last few years four have really come on and supposedly the 2024 kits are um out of this world said so they're going to be a complete game changer so i'm looking forward to seeing those so uh with me uh on the uh on the pot is always uh the enigmatic australian uh and mx vice editor edward stratman how are you ed
1: yeah mate, life's good um it's great to be on good to be chatting to you again mate after a, another cracking gp it certainly yeah threw up a lot of um good topics for discussion and we look forward to getting stuck into it
0: and uh also on the, on the pod this week is my favorite italian uh lorenzo resta welcome lorenzo
2: I'm glad to be your favorite as I'm in competition with guys like Tony Cairoli (laughs) or people like that. So I'm really glad to be your favorite. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation, Hi Ed, Hi, James. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. It will be a pleasure to talk about uh, Latvia and, of course, make a little preview. I mean, focusing on uh, Teuschental, MXGP of Germany and what is coming on.
0: Hey, Lorenzo, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about... um... You appearing on the MX vice show because uh I kind of keep keep like a you know up to date on what's going online and everything else and you're starting to become a bit of a cult favorite with the um the MX vice audience um there's some really really good feedback coming on I've been stopped a few times uh I' was saying to Ed uh I think it was um France I got stopped by uh three three groups of, of guys three three different groups of guys and um uh, they were basically saying, like you know, Lorenzo is awesome, Love him on the on the MX5 show. Um, so got some great feedback there, buddy.
2: Honestly, uh, I'm surprised uh, as uh, my English is really poor and uh, my Italian accent is so deep. Of course, I I understand that um, I, I am. I mean, I'm not the most experienced guy in uh, in MXGP in the paddock, as all of my colleagues in the press room are like older than me. I mean the colleagues that uh, I'm working with, uh, I'm talking about Ray Archer, Pascal Olicere, or, uh, you know, even people like that, they are so experienced, but uh, maybe due to the fact that I was uh, doing a strange, (laughs) unique, maybe career in, uh, in motocross as I started as a chef. And then I, I was doing probably almost everything, just not riding. And, uh, preparing the bikes thats is uh, probably better for for everybody in the paddock and uh, but I've done many things so I have plenty of memories and uh, I was one of the the guys like you have many uh, like really enthusiastic to be there and at the beginning for me was like a dream to going around the world uh really just traveling um more than doing something in motocross so i was really enjoying this you know and then meeting people meeting riders i always had this kind of idea that riders were kind of uh, semi-god you know not completely human not totally god so something like you can have on uh, the olympus in between the sky and the earth because they are so special and it's really interesting you know to be close to them doesn't matter what you do you can prepare the food for them you can be they physiotherapist they mechanic or they technician suspension technician whatever but you have always the chance to to look at them from close and then i, I was pretty pretty much lucky to work with few of the best riders ever uh, starting with mikael pichon ending with Tony Cairoli and in the middle plenty of other good writers but more than these good persons you know and uh, and it was really something that I appreciated so much and today is a pleasure to share with the others and so maybe what people appreciate from me is this that I like to to share my experience to share some fun facts or some uh, even not so funny like the, the one we were talking about after friends while I was nearby mattia guadagnini mm. while it was injured. so but it's it's always like a little part of something that was happening and when you are able to, to to tell this to the others and the others are interested in i think is that that's just the secret if we can talk about the secret
0: yeah i mean we spoke you spoke about i mentioned pascal in um was it 600 gps
2: yeah yeah it's amazing because you know i'm Quite, uh, I, I consider myself the son of Pascal, if I can say, <laughs> <laughs> because I call him Dad. Actually, yeah, it's m- mostly of the time for me. is Papa, but he's in French, is Daddy. So uh, Pascal, um, we had, we, we have a really special relationship, like deep friend, because uh, we st- uh, he started uh, while I was five years old, seventy-two, uh, Gaëlle Fontaine. French GP, he went there as a media, not as a fan, as a media, doing some pictures for a magazine. And he had the commission to do a picture to a new bike with a French rider. I don't remember the name of the French rider. The bike was what we call in Italy TGM. And this team had a second rider, a really young Italian rider. And for him, it was the first GP. So Pascal was there shooting pictures and writing something. And he had the chance to make a couple of shot of this really young rider, and this rider was Michele Rinaldi. So that's the start of the career of Pascal Digger. Uh, then Pascal, in Pascal, this passion was really burning, and uh, he could he spent his entire life in. Taking his holiday to go to the GPs uh, because he had another job. He was working in the uh, rail, uh, railways in uh, in France, but his passion was so big that he spent completely all his holidays to just work and do another work. And he, he was going through eras, through uh, different uh, organizers, to why till the moment that Giuseppe Luongo came up, uh, he was probably doing the UFO service at the beginning with a little little van and then uh, he was riding himself before then he was doing the UFO service then he was doing many different things still he had this idea to organize the world championship and he had what today we call Infront Motorsport was action group and Pascal was the first uh, uh, press agent of this action group then through the years uh, action group sold uh, the company and the rights of the motocross to um, Dorna and uh, Dorna asked Pascal to be the press agent and then Giuseppe come back, came back and he was buying back everything and this was the first GP for Ustream and was Zolder 2004 and at that moment I came up in the kitchen it was my first GP, Zolder 2004 first GP for uh, uh, the Ustream group first GP for Antonio Cairoli don't say this too loud because that's too much altogether you know <laughs> and it's something yeah. crazy for me and uh, and so Pascal uh, at that day I met him uh, I'm half Italian and half French that's the reason why I'm speaking so bad my, my English and uh, uh, putting all together I met Pascal uh, he was French I was talking with him and is passionate, truly passionate, not only about bikes, but also food and wine. Two of my greatest passions. (laughs) And so we start sharing uh, wine advices, wine considerations, food stuff. And I was inviting him, as all the journalists of the press room, almost all the journalists of the press room, in our hospitality, on the Martin, Michael Pichon, Brian Jorgensen, From that moment on, I started making events by Saturday night, mostly like wine contest, France versus Italy. Pascal was always taking (laughs) bottles of French wine, me, Italian wines. And then we had a contest in the middle of the paddock. And when it was like midnight, I was doing spaghetti for everyone. All the people that wanted to join us were free to join us. Even people from Ustream at that time, they were coming, enjoying, I mean, good food food that was eatable was uh, considered uh, not poisoning and uh and and, drinking <laughs> good wine. and and so that our relationship started at that moment uh our friendship from that moment on you know till the moment that i ended my career in Honda as i was team manager in 2013 and i had this crazy idea to come into the press room and uh, i found an incredible atmosphere because all the people that were working there and then most of them are still working there, like like uh, Adam Wheeler, Ray Archer, Pascal Odiger, Stefano Taglioni, Bavo Swingers, uh, yourself. The, the door was open for me for everything. I was in member since the first race. I was welcome at like uh, I don't know. Uh, I I was surprised and I was and I would be uh, really honestly uh, thankful for this forever. And Pascal, of course, was the one who was teaching me how to shot a picture, how to write an article, because I, I, for me, everything was new. And it, while I, I could not afford really the, the the expenses of the GPS, he was always saying, no, you come. Uh, I take always a double room with two beds and you can sleep in my room without paying nothing. We will share the car, I will pay the car, and you come with me, stuff like that. So yeah. at the beginning, it was really helpful with me. And, uh, and then today, uh, I mean, not today, but Sunday was his 600 GP, what is an incredible number. I remember we were in Villar Suseco in 2015, probably while he was his uh, 400 GP. And I still had the picture of that day. And Pascal is still there. I don't know how many years he will be still there. Didn't you say he just brought a
1: new camera recently too? So he's obviously Yes, yes. Yeah we went, we
2: were in uh, in Spain and he had a trouble with his camera and he said oh i need to buy a new camera but wow if i buy a new camera then i have to do a, at least a couple of more years you know to pay <laughs> back the camera but yeah okay and i was surprised i said wow pascal you are talking about retire yourself from from i mean, gp said yeah one day it will it will happen but 78 2023 without missing no one race. He didn't miss a race. He, this year, uh, in Erne, it will be his 40th Grand Prix of the nation. And uh, he's uh, still the um, uh, press agent of the French Federation. He, he writes one book per year uh, with the French Federation about all the French tracks, all the French teams, all the French riders, all the French Grand Prix of the nation editions. Uh, it's and it's a kind of people that you can never stop. He's wake up earlier than anybody else. He goes sleep later than anybody else. Uh, uh, every time I woke up, I find him working with his uh, computer. Every time I go sleep, he's still working with his computer. And he is a machine, you know. Uh, but the engine is run by passion, and that's the only secret uh, for him. So, is uh, the oldest at the moment as before we had another one that was the oldest uh, james probably you remember one uh, english german journalist uh, that was in the <laughs> press room uh, that was uh, i remember I really... alex yeah yes alex <laughs> hodkinson was uh, uh, the oldest member probably in the press room but the press room is older huh? i would say i'm one of the youngest even if i don't look like but pascal is quite old, like Stefano, like Ray Archer, like many. And, and Adam Wheeler that was taking the age down is, is gone because now he's more in MotoGP and uh, stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a group of people that uh, know each other very well. Through the years we had some uh, new people coming in and uh, but the core, I think, is still the same. It's, uh Pascal, Ray, uh, Adam, even if he's not there, Stefano, uh, we miss some of the italian that were there a lot and uh, now they're not anymore but like my unforgettable adriano that i uh, was sharing with him uh m- some good memories and 2 3 years before he passed away so it was uh, it's it's a kind of little family you know and uh it's a uh, it's nice why we we meet all together uh, overseas normally for a dinner uh, once per year normally and and then we have also the media dinner with uh, with in front uh, every year uh, hosted by Infront this year was uh, in uh, in Portugal and it, it's a nice because it, it's nice we are a kind of family we miss a little bit I have to say Giuseppe Longo. while Giuseppe was always uh, uh, really attractive for the media I mean we were always welcome to go there and talk and, and do a lot of things but anyway that was uh, a little part of the story of Pascal uh, in MXGP motocross uh, whatever you want to call it
0: nice um you know I, i'm not sure if pascal listen, listens to us babbling on but um uh i i've heard so many stories about pascal over the years about literally i think every major french rider that's come through at one stage has probably been helped by pascal um yeah. there's been many riders that have actually gone to to live at his house um yeah. you know he's, he's he's looked after him so the guy is just a walking legend but yeah to reach 600 gps is incredible incredible um i definitely won't be reaching 600 gps we can put that one right out there now on 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 the shelf so um that is not happening so uh, i i love motocross but um i i think i might be about 108 by the time i do uh, 600 gps <laughs>
2: I have to count all the GPs I've done. If I start counting from Superbike, then MotoGP, and then now uh, last 20, exactly 20 years of motocross, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's it's quite a good number. But 600 is not reachable, honestly. It's like if someone starts today motocross and think about doing more than 104 victories.
0: Yeah. The only thing I can think of is Pascal was... Five years old when he picked up a camera.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was five years old. You know, I'm 73 uh, like my year, not seventy three years old. Of but uh, and, and and Pascal was shooting pictures and writing articles uh, on a GP, like a proper media, because he was on GP before, like a fan. But that was his first GP as a media, and from that moment on, he went to all the GPs.
0: Incredible, crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Um, Were there much changes to the, the track the weekend, Lorenzo? It, Lavia? Yeah,
2: sure, 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 sure. It was a cold and wet uh, Grand Prix. I think the first really wet Grand Prix of the season as we had a little ra- rain in um, Argentina, of course. Uh, from that moment on, we didn't have uh, any more rain. It's a bit of a shame in uh, Latvia, but it's a kind of place where you can uh, deal with the track was uh, quite difficult, sketchy. Some of the uh, races uh, were a little bit affected by the start, but this is normal in Kegums. Every year, there's a problem with the start. We were talking with Ed about this uh, in the in the preview of the GP. This start uh, is something that to me, they have to, to change something. They have so much space. It's flat. It's sand. You can do whatever you want, but it never changed, and every year we have some little trouble. Even Pascal last year, the trouble it was hurted by by a rider who was jumping on the other side of the the, the first corner. But anyway, nothing nothing so serious. Uh, it was a sketchy track, but then uh, at the end you see that the most technical rider, the the fastest rider, they succeed. So at the end, uh, nothing really. Uh, bad happened like in past with the injury of uh, some riders, uh, including Tony Cairoli, that he had a couple of bad injuries there because he was injured in 2014. Last race with the uh, 250 bike at the Motocross of the Nation it was an incredible race. He was doing really well, but then he had this uh, huge crash that affected a little bit the 2015 season also. And uh, of course uh, 2021 while uh, he get hurt really much 2020, 20, sorry, or 21 uh, while he was uh, injured at the shoulder and uh, and that affected uh, so much his uh, his season. So that's a kind of a problem that can happen on a track like that. Last year we had a, a brutal accident for Thomas Keer Olsen uh, who ended his career actually on the track where he won two times uh, in a row what is not so common uh, for this GP. So he won in uh, 17 and 18, if I'm not wrong, in MX2. And he ended his career in 2022 uh, with an horrible crash uh, uh, that uh, was honestly for everyone was breathtaking because nobody knew, knew what uh, uh, was happening at that time. But uh, but yeah, this track is uh, kind of a special one and we saw it in MX2 and MXGP. While you have uh, some really good skills uh, uh riders like uh, um Prado like Herlings like the Wolf uh, Van de Mosdijk even the young gun uh, Lucas Koenen you can really make the difference on a track like that
0: yeah um from from obviously TV you always get to it always seems a little bit different but the track looked um it did look sketchy on TV for once so uh you know deep deep ruts deep corners but there's that hard base underneath, isn't there? So it looks, it looks sandy, that's, but there's like a very hard base.
2: That's the problem always with kegums, because this, this kind of uh, underneath uh, sand is so hard, and you have always square bumps, uh, you have deep ruts, but it's difficult to predict how your bike will react uh, on, uh, like the waves, uh, on the waves when you go out of the corners, on the braking it's really unpredictable man most of the time so you have really to have a good setting uh, you you have to work a lot with your body to to manage to to stay on two wheels and to don't make uh, too many mistakes but almost everyone did few mistakes only probably prado uh, didn't know one but like if you take uh, the wolf made mistakes uh, uh, even uh, the, the king at the moment of uh, uh, the, the, the championship that is Jeffrey in my eyes, he, he did a little crash in the first moto. It was nothing. It was uh, just a slipped away with the, with the front and uh, he had to restart. he lost only five seconds, but still he did a little mistake. so it's a really tricky track and uh, making mistake uh, it's really easy also because the track in some of the parts is really fast. Um, but luckily this year we had only a couple of bad injuries. one of course uh, was brent van with the dislocated shoulder no hip sorry uh okay. and that, that yeah. was a bad one and it's the kind of uh, accident that can happen on a track like that so uh unfortunately it happened to him but uh, we saved i would say the, the the big name of uh remaining big name of mxgp
1: and mx2 yeah we spoke to him last yeah. week didn't we james brent and he was really looking forward to that gp he was he'd really picked yeah. up some momentum he he obviously had those mechanical issues and a couple of, um you know, bits of misfortune before that. But, yeah, he was looking really primed for a for a great GP. And the weekend started quite well for him too. And, um yeah, it's just a shocking thing to happen to him. So hopefully we see him back in um, in the not-too-distant future because, yeah, he's, uh, that team does a lot of great work, like they were saying. And, yeah, he was happy. Camden, it was good to see him do quite well to, to have a bit of positivity for the team as he builds back to full fitness and, and full health. And, yeah, that second moto, Lorenzo and James, it looked – it looked difficult. We, I was speaking to Spees yesterday. He got 12th overall, his best best result in MXGP, which is um yeah massive credit to him because he's been plugging away and had some nasty knocks. And, yeah, he, he was saying it was just so hard to get traction in certain places, especially with that rain came in. You know, you had the, you know, the one one thing was the tyre selection and then obviously finding that traction. You had this, if you wanted it, you needed to stick to those berms wide and because, like you said, James, that hard base. So did you get a lot of feedback like that too, Lorenzo?
2: yeah of course because uh as we said before it's a sandy track but just uh, it appears like a sandy track but it is not deep sand track so you have always this hard base and with the heavy rain the water stays a little bit on more than in a classic sandy track so you have and it transforms in like a kind of liquid mud and it's really difficult to get good traction and to and it covers everything so you have a lot of bad surprises while you're riding and uh, i think that few of the riders were really good in avoiding mistakes and just managing to to do their best without uh, taking too many risks and this for me is the case of uh, jorge prado who did a really clean race uh, uh he was battling a little bit but then he, he he was looking like he was preferring to you know don't waste don't do uh stupid or silly mistakes that could cost him the, the red plate or the next races. And uh, on the other hand, you had some riders that were really in a kind of uh, trouble, having a little bit too many difficulties. Like, for example, he was. we said this also with you on last Wednesday, that uh, the problem uh, with Andrea Adamo was, was that one, uh, to having so much pressure. Uh, he never rode properly like he could uh, in other tracks uh, this year uh, on, on in Kegum's and this pressure of fighting for the red plate was a little bit too much, I think, at this moment, on a track like that. So that was the most delicate moment for him of the season. Is on, I mean, it's uh, uh, around the corner, and now he can focus on the next one. That is a pretty different race. But hat off for uh, Kaido Wolf, as he did something superb, uh, it's strange, it's curious to see on a track like that, really unpredictable, but everything can happen. We had the top result, the best result in both classes. As at the moment, uh, we are uh, we were after seven rounds, only Iago Gers, two times, was able to score 60 points in a weekend. And this time, two riders did it. Anyway, Kaider Wolf, who won his first GP with this kind of hat trick, you know, like uh, the best in all, all the motors. And Jeffrey Erlings, who won the first qualifying of the year, and then he was able to to win both motos and to score uh, sixty points—that uh, are really a huge amount of points on a weekend.
0: Uh, let's uh, talk. To, let's go with MX2 first because you're quite right. The the, the performance that Kaido Wolf put in, and obviously he was after that red plate. He wanted that red plate. Um, it was Adamos to, to give up, and we've seen that. Adamo spent a lot of time in sand, uh, at Lomo at the start of the year, so he he was prepped prepped right for this for this event, and also he's very good on hard pack. so he's a, he's a he's a good technical rider, isn't he, Andrea? So, um, but do you think Lorenzo, like you said, do you think sometimes that pressure of the red plate and being in that position and being on Red Bull KTM, um, sometimes it can get a little bit overwhelming?
2: Um, in my opinion, is you know, um, Andrea was really properly, really good to to manage with the pressure of being in that team this year and on considering himself um, probably the best rider of the three, out of the three in this moment. The one who, where the focus is in MX2 because Liam is doing fantastically. He's doing pretty well, but he didn't make a podium since the beginning of the season. I mean, uh, he did his first podium this year and did twice, but uh, uh, it was, of course, uh, coming without the kind of experience like that. And Sasha is the youngest uh, of the team, so nobody was like really expecting podiums or stuff like that. Then I was able to, to start the season in a good way, in a proper way, without feeling the pressure, with a podium in Argentina, then the win, the victory in Arco di Trento at home uh, was astonishing, then another podium, so It was a kind of perfect season till now, but as much as you put up the level, uh, uh, as much as uh, the stress, the pressure, everything grows together with the level. So then probably he had to wake up and to say, okay, till now, I was doing my best, everything was going well, but my adversary was too fast, too far, too big for me. Uh, He was never in this kind of uh, rela- I mean, I would say relationship is not the right word, but with Iago. Iago was considered the favorite, absolute favorite for the title. So every time you beat him, you did a miracle, you did your best. If you don't beat him that's not a, quite a problem. You're second, you third, it's okay. But if you take away Iago, then it's up to you. You're second in the championship. Red plate is there, few points only. And this changed the game to me, even if you don't think about, but somehow somewhere in your brain, this game has changed and it's time now to go to the next level. I'm pretty sure that he has, he have with him the best people, uh, to, to, to deal with this. Tony, Joel, those guys were really good on this, you know, on do the next step, make the next level of the game. And, uh, it's time to go to the next level. Last year, he did his first podium, second in a, a Mantova, and then the next level was he was he signed a contract with KTM while remaining in his team, but starting working with Joel, starting having good parts on his bike, completely with the factory team, and doing fantastically. Now it's time to... Let's see what you can do. But don't forget that he's young, that he's... Uh, Uh, His second complete season in MX2, so Kai is already more experienced than him. And in my opinion, Kai is more technique, Uh, is able to do different things with the bike compared to Andrea. But Andrea can have a kind of different approach on how much he wants, the will, this positive rage that he can put on a fight. So this weekend, to me, he was never able to fight uh, one against one, you know, and to really uh, put his speed on a level that uh, will permit him to, to fight uh, shoulder by shoulder, you know. So it would be interesting. In the second moto, while he did the best start of, uh, of the weekend, uh, because the first two starts were really bad, the third start was much better, and he showed that already that he could be around, but this track is special and it's not for everyone. Uh, So Kai, I think, was doing really something perfect and he was a little bit lucky. What do you need when you need to win? Because you can do your best, uh, you can have the best bike, but still you need also a little bit of luck. So that motor, while his teammate crashed, he crashed, then his teammate crashed, the other teammate crashed. Okay, it's like a little bit served on on a silver plate, you know, say, okay, it's for you. Uh, nobody will touch you so but well deserved of course uh, uh his riding was on fire
0: yeah I mean it's been brewing hey um Kyder Wolf's um performances this year have been really really good as I've mentioned behind the scenes he's very very relaxed he he goes to the start the most relaxed person I think I've ever seen on a bike um you know literally I I I get to see behind the scenes because I do the Fox rule cap series so um, yeah. I'm, I'm literally following him to the line and literally five minutes before he's at the line, he's literally got dance music on or sat down or chilling or just laughing and getting moaned at by the team because he's like knocked down by the start. Okay. But the guy is so relaxed. So it's, it's nice to see him, like you say, complete that treble, which is the qualifying race and in getting those two wins. Sometimes you need a little bit of luck and he was able to, to get that luck. But you have to put yourself in, in into that position in the first place. But uh what it's done is it's really turned this into a three-horse race, and and I still wouldn't rule out Gertz because if Gertz is able to come back in Indonesia, um then um, you know, he could put himself back in there. I mean, everybody's always due a little bit of unfortunately a bit a little bit of bad luck. That's called motocross. But um okay. I am I, I am very, very impressed with the way that he sort of came into the weekend. Was able to maximize that 60 points, uh, take over the red plate, close the gap, and put himself in control now for um, you know, a technical track like um uh the weekend. Uh the other thing which must be exciting for the Nestan team as well, especially Kay, with when you think the amount of money that that Kay and other team owners are putting in, they have this young. Um, you know, there's young generation of riders coming through now and, and it's not going to be long before all three of them are going to be on the box. It could happen. We've seen it with Yamaha last year, yeah. with Louis Voster's team. I mean, it's not going to be long before possibly all three of them are, are, are on the uh, overall podium. Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I agree completely.
2: We saw already them going to the start of, uh, this, in this race in, in Latvia. First three places, you know, and, and that says a lot. Uh, we saw that uh, Lucas was uh, ready to win, or ready in France, and to me he was ready to win also one moto in uh, in Latvia was what is more impressive because this track is really tricky and uh, demanding on a technical side. So uh, those two kids, because Sasha, to me, is still uh, uh, one of the best young rider out there uh, as his brother. Is still really, really small. Uh, he has a small body. The weight is not enough to find a good setting with the bike and uh, to let the bike work properly. If you take this kid and you put him on a one two five, it will uh, make something incredible. Uh, still uh riding uh, in the mix with with some two fifty, because uh, technically, technically, is probably even better than his brother. But on his side, Lucas uh, have some kind of special character, uh, uh like his father probably, and he's really like full of these uh, uh racing skills, you know really uh, how much he wants. Um yeah I, I really can can't wait to see him uh to be regularly there in on top position. He's still doing some uh young mistake, you know, like uh, uh silly crashes or like some silly stuff but he's so young. That you can, of course, uh, uh, pardon him everything because it's like okay, uh, the, the the kid because we are talking about sixteen years old uh, uh, young rider he's still so young. he's doing his eighth GP this year, so and he's already uh, there fighting for victories. So it's incredible uh, for what consider you concern Kai was you said about the fact that he's so quite calm and relaxed this is a plus value that you cannot buy you cannot buy even when you win five six nine titles if you have it you have it if not nobody can learn i mean teach you uh, and you cannot learn you have it inside yourself you're so sure you're so calm and sure about yourself and your skills that you go there but it's not only this i remember tony was like this Tony, while he was really young, he was going to the start in this way, he had the music on and he was like dancing a little bit and, you know, enjoying this time because this time is a nightmare for 95% of the athletes going to the start of whatever it is, football game, Formula One race, motocross race, even the 100 meters, uh, the Olympic Games is a nightmare. But if you don't leave this moment as a nightmare, this moment can change your performance. And I tell you something I had to think about really well before I wrote first victory in his career for Kaida Wolf. Mm. Because to me, it seems like incredible that he, he didn't won already three, four,
1: five races <laughs> yeah. in his career. While he's so good, you know what I mean? And now it's a yeah. The yeah. Quick run Lorenzo. It's a uh, 41 yeah. Grand Prix he's raced now and it took him yeah 41 to get that win. It just doesn't seem right. Like the, the numbers don't no. match. And no, do you think, do you think this one that's... will give him that confidence and the floodgates will open now? Cause he's too good a rider to have taken that long really. So the, the wait's over and let's, let's let it rip from now for him.
2: Absolutely. No, we saw so many riders coming up from the European uh, championship and in one year, two year, maybe We'll see one season just doing his, the first victory. Of course, uh, I have to say also that previous years with the performance of Iago and Tom Vial it was so difficult for everybody to just try to put himself in the middle and win one race only. Uh, that was uh, just the case of Simon a couple of times. One this year, one last year. But the level was so high that it was really tricky to to just score one victory. But still I have to think about say... It's not possible that he didn't won even one race in the past two three years. And in fact, it's like you said, 41 GP, the first victory finally came up. I would be curious to see the statistics of uh, the MX2 riders, uh, w- I mean the champions, when they won their first race. But Tony was the first year for oh, Erlings was the first year, maybe a wildcard even. The same for Prado, same for Vial, same for many. Musken uh, not, but the second uh, while he was in Honda uh, and other riders like that that wrote the history of motocross, Ken Roxen and so on, they were able to win in one, two years. So it's 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 uh, it's curious and it's strange to consider that uh, he's only his first victory.
0: Yeah, Um Let's talk a little bit about his teammate as well, because van der Moosdyk has put in some um, stellar performances this year. Um, he's been very consistent. Um, got over that, that sort of before. He was only on the bike two weeks before he hit Argentina uh, due to a shoulder injury, which is improving every, every week. He's still using a bit of tape to tape it up, and um, it's it's not affecting his riding, but it's still there. It's his last year. He's going to be going on a 450. And when you see the performance he put in, um, in somewhere like Latvia, that's got a you, you got to believe some of the 450 teams uh, that's got to peak their interest when they can see a rider do what he does on a 250. Um, and okay. he's a big, big kid as well. He's only going to put on weight and strength, um, when he does get on that 450. So he could be quite a good signing for a team next year.
2: I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, I, I'd like honestly to see one. Squarna 450 under the same owning and uh, he, keeping him there in the same team, in the same mood with Rasmus that is doing a fantastic job this year like he did in the past years and, and just doing what he what, what he is able to do with the 450. He's one of the the riders that uh, I'd like to see in uh, MXGP, a part of the rule that oblige him to, to move into 450, but I think he's ready to. Uh, it have always have been a big boy, uh, even in the European Championship. While he won the title, we forget sometimes that is one of the European champion uh, this kind of category. Who is uh, uh, where they are baking a lot of uh, new talents, and uh, so it's uh, it's a kind of talent factory. The European uh, 250. So uh, it was able to win uh, up there, uh, and from that season on, I think is the only top top rider uh, going for for good brussels but uh, but it was the best of his kind of i would say generation uh, it was in uh, probably one of the worst situations this year because entering the championship uh, with an injury and entering a championship in a, a team with other two teammates younger than you faster than you and better than you in the results while one is 16 years old and the other one is younger, lot younger than you, and they lighter than you. They start better than you, for, also for this reason, and they go so damn fast. It's not easy. It's not easy to no. keep calm. Say okay, I will do it. I will. Do, I still work. I'm still pushing hard on myself without getting mad. It's not easy. So again, no. hat off also for him because he's doing pretty well and he's building up his future. Is uh, not building up his career in MX2 or his title fight. Is building up his career in MX2. What is the most important for him now? So uh, there are not so many places in MXGP. If we look at the riders we have and the place in the factory teams, but I hope that uh, a good
0: place in a good team will uh, will come up for him. Yeah, me too. Um, one rider which was nice to see in Banks back with with results which backed up his performance was um, Kevin Horgmo. So um, I, I think uh, Mark DeRuva will be a little bit more, you know, a little bit happier. I mean, he's not going to be too happy, but he will be a lot more happy than he was um, a few weeks ago. But but Kevin put in, an, again, uh, you know, we know he's got the speed. We know he, he should be there. We don't quite know what's stopping him. I think maybe he's got that... You know that that thought process of next year because he has to go up on a four fifteen in, in, and I think yeah. is one of those things where you're you're so focused on next year and worrying about what's going to happen that you need to be able to control yeah. what's happening now. Yes, yes,
2: absolutely. Uh, Mark is, of course, uh, I I know him very well. Uh, you know him very well. Uh, Mark is a kind of uh, (laughs) mad guy that everyone loves. You cannot not love Mark because uh, I put so much passion in it, you know. Uh, It has always been a special person. I had the chance, and I say the chance, the big, huge chance to work with him two years Uh, and that was the moment I was changing my rule, coming out from the hospitality, doing press agent and then sport manager. So I was really in that time where you you change your career so i grow with mark and i grow, grow managing one of the most difficult rider to manage because mark has <laughs> always been like a volcano volcano of emotions volcano of uh, yes. uh, plenty of things you know so uh mark is like that mark is a volcano unpredictable one you cannot think you cannot say what he's thinking uh till he it tell you. So uh, it wasn't happy. That's the worst season for the team and for himself. Results are not coming up anywhere. Uh, bad results, uh, bad stars, bad motors. So that was a kind of little uh, oxygen for everyone. Uh, of course, first of all, for, for Kevin. Uh, while Kevin uh, is always for me something uh, really I, I don't understand exactly. There's a talent, that's for sure. That's a really funny person. Uh, I knew him a little bit more while, while he was in the in Marchetti team. Uh, so I, I, I know that he's a really funny guy, uh, easy person, uh, it's easy to work with him. and But still, there is something that I cannot understand why not, nothing is going together. It's not that you must to put all together every time but at the moment there's nothing that is going in the good in the good direction uh so i really hope that this was a turning point for the team and for the season and for the rider uh, as we need more people in front more people fighting and it's uh, it's important to 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 see kevin in good position
0: Ed, um were you surprised that um kevin sort of banks back with two consistent rides this week or, or was that something that you think was brewing
1: yeah, well, he's he's done well there in the past, so it's, it's it's just good to see him back at a level that resembled, you know, where he should be. Because yeah, it hasn't gone to plan at all, except for Argentina, where he he set the bar so high for himself, and and it hasn't gone to gone to plan since then. And um, yeah, we just we just want the best for these guys, and because you know they're putting the work in, and Mark's putting the work into them, and he's got some choice words to say about about you know the sport and how it's all going, and and his riders and just general things and it's interesting you're going to interview him soon but yeah it was just good for the team to get that little bit of uplift and you know just just back to Kai um to talk to him I was going to you know you know mention about Ruben and the impact he's having on him and obviously that framework and the environment at Nestan is really really conducive for success and obviously he's he's that's borne out this season he's he's sort of gone from uh you know, he's still really loose on the bike and he's always fun to watch and super flamboyant, but he's, he's, he's sort of merging that consistency in now, I guess a little bit in the Ruben Fernandez fashion we've seen over the last 18 months. He's sort of, he's, he's getting that consistency and, and, and you know, you talk about Beneston too, and he was actually really impressive, brilliant speed, brilliant riding. Um, Could have been a much better day for him if, you know, things went his way in that second one, but yeah, no, he was really good. So they're all sort of you know, Benestant and, and uh, DeWolf sort of flexed their muscles a little bit and Adamo, like you said, Lorenzo sort of got left behind in that one. So where do you see it panning out from there, James, just to switch it back to you? Because it's going to be pretty epic at two, And probably one of my favourite performances of the entire last year was Benestant winning that GP in Germany. That was just absolute silk, pure class. Um, I know I've spoken with you to you and JT, I think JT was in the booth for that one and there's not many better performances that stand out for me last year that was just a masterclass wasn't
0: it well this is where the um the MX2 titles really going to start shaping up in 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 Germany because uh let's just say we go from the evidence was presented in previous years and say that Benistan um does what the wolf done this weekend and, and basically takes 60 points um it's really going to tighten up that top 3 and then you're going to be going into the unknown, into Indonesia. So I think what's happening now is we're, we're the championships really starting to take shape. We've got three protagonists which um, have the ability to win, uh, you know, the first ever world championship. I mean, what a carrot, you know, to be dangling in front in front of them. So, I, uh, you know, and and the thing is, is you look at Benistan, Adamo, and DeWolf Wolf, and and each one of them could quite rightly deserve you know winning the championship they they've been really you know developing their their craft coming up through um you know all the the AMX, uh classes right the way up to you know doing doing their due diligence you could say through um you know 125 250 and now coming into mx2 in in and being the, the main protagonist so i c- i can see Benistan replicating what he done last year because of the technicality of the track and, and you know he's just got out of that 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 dynamic french riding style which just it like sticks to a track like to yeah. so um i i do believe that yeah possibly he could he could literally turn the tables but i don't know the wolf the wolf's in 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 great form in in and again adamo is you can't rule Adamo out because that is another perfect track for Adamo um, the weekend. So uh, uh, one thing we're we're, we're going to be blessed with is great racing, um, yeah. yeah. In between the three of them, yeah. and, and then let's not forget about Everts because Everts on hard pack this year has been a bit of a revelation. Uh, revelation because Trentino obviously got the podium, and then uh, in France um, we've seen the speed in France. So. Tuition Tower could be nicely set up for Everett, so we were talking about Everett's at Tower rather than Everett's at Lombal. So um, yeah, it's that. I mean, that's a you know, a, a, you know, a, how impressive his hat riding's been this year. So um, you know, I, I I love this championship. This championship. It is kind of like what's going on over in in the, in the AMA in, in America at the moment because the, the, it is two exciting championships with with young guns who aren't scared to 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 hold that throttle wide open. So, um, I was going to ask yeah, you, James, yeah, as do a... you
1: think do you think these guys think you know with Yago out and obviously having Vial so excellent and then Renault won one of those championships too? Do you reckon it plays on their mind that this might be you know some of these guys' only chance to you know win a world championship because that's a lot of pressure to take on or have you sort of got an inkling of who you you're giving the edge to? Because that's that's a lot for you know they're not fully you know mature men yet. There's still a lot of them are young kids, so it's a lot to take on, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think there there's too much. Uh, this is our last chance because all three of them are, are able to stay down in the in the actual MX two for a year. But also preparing will be interesting... for
1: the, uh, the 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 Borussia Dortmund uh, soccer example I mentioned with JT how they hadn't won. In over ten years, and they had to—they were leading the league. They had to win on the last day, uh, and they drew, went down two 0 and drew two two, and then Bayern won. Again, you know, they're like tenth or eleventh title in a
0: row. So, just you know,
1: those sort of things—you just never know when the chance comes, do you?
0: No, you don't. And the the one thing which um I'm quite interested in is to find out if somebody—it's like because Maxime Renault, a couple like two years ago, had a clause in his contract that if he won the MX2 World Championship, he went up to um, the main Yamaha team or 450. I wonder if Benistan's got something similar in his contract or whether... Um, because what will throw the cat amongst the pigeons is if Benistan does go on and win this championship, he does have that clause in his contract, then that would mean a four-man uh, Yamaha 450 team next year. Um, because obviously Gertz is going to be going up. So... Who knows? Um, you know that's something I'd like to try and find out. Maybe Lorenzo can find out the weekend for us.
2: Um, I'm quite familiar with with Yamaha contracts. As uh, I'm helping few riders on these uh, sometime, just you know to to read the clause. And uh, I was uh, uh, studying law in Italy, and but I'm, I mean it's just uh, trying to help uh, someone. And um, I knew about this clause in uh, the contract of Maxime. Normally and I'm talking also about like the Honda contracts at the time I was I was signing the riders. They're all the same. Uh, when you sign a good rider uh, coming up from a young categories and uh, stuff like that, you always put the same contract on because uh, you want to uh, like give an extra boost to the rider, promising him something that you will give him only while he's deserved. So it's nothing that you risk, really. Because when you say if you win the MX2 title, then you can choose to pick up the MXGP bike in the factory team. you are just saying to yourself and to your uh, manufacturer, your brand, that you take the best MX2 rider to the next class. So it's kind of easy close to put on a contract. And I'm pretty sure that uh, is the same for what concerns... Uh, uh, Tibo, and uh, it's the same. For example, on uh, contracts for the EMX 250 rider, like Andrea Bonacorsi, as in his contract, if he won, if he win the title, uh, EMX 250. Also, in the previous two years, he was able to pick a place in a factory MX2 team, or to choose to re- to to remain in the European class, huh? of course, because. Uh, there's always something that is offered but not obliged. Uh, Sometimes a uh, rider feels to be obliged. Like I remember uh, while uh, Tim Geiser won his first title uh, in MX2 with HRC, he was so young still uh, that he could ride the other four or five seasons in MX2. But uh, the Japanese engineer, when we went there for the test mm-hmm. in Japan, Asked the, to us ask to to team to ride the 450 in the next season, and team was a little bit like I don't know. They say yes, we want the world champion on the 450 bike. We want a Honda world champion on the 450 bike, as we don't have a Honda world champion on our bike since long time. Too much. And and we feel that you can do it. Uh, Tim was not really in for this, but then he was convinced to do it. And we know the story, how it went. The only condition he put, it was to remain in the same team. Because at that time, the MX2 team was run by Garibaldi. The MXGP team was run by Paolo Martin. And Tim said, I don't have nothing against uh, the other structure, but I do this... Only if I can stay in the same team. And that is where the HRC team born, the one that we know today has born. In the moment that the uh, uh, team was imposing his choice to stay in the carry destructor. So something like this can also happen sometime, but you really need to be a superstar already, you know, and to be someone that, uh, okay, we, 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 will, we really want this, so we will do whatever for you, whatever you ask for. So this is not the the, the, the case. But there is something that is running in my mind since a couple of uh, Grand Prix, is that I heard and i still uh, having rumors about uh, the teams for next season. If something can happen, something can change, if uh, the MX2 structure can take over all the Yama Factory program uh, also the MXgp program I don't know if something if something realistic if I' know it's just a noise a rumor that goes around the paddock but there is also something to put on the plate that uh, it's uh, it's important so maybe it could be if it happens something like this so a tran- a transition while uh, the two Riders coming up from MX2 remains in the same structure, but with 450 bikes. We know that there is Michele Lavetti that has a lot of experience with the 450 with Tony Cairoli and is a really good uh, team manager. And the other team stays with two uh, MXGP riders. And then maybe they reduce to two riders uh, the MX2 program with maybe one guy like uh, uh, Andrea Bonacorsi and Enrico Elzinga recreating the Metaluten team of uh, last year.
0: Yeah, I mean that would make a lot of sense, Lorenzo, because um, you have to think with Yago. He's he's gr- he's kind of grown with Hans Korver's and that kind of setup around him. So, uh, and like you say, sometimes a, a certain rider can throw a lot of weight, and that uh, performance in Redbud on a 450 wouldn't have wouldn't have. Uh, yeah. Been been forgotten is is you know very quickly because uh, that performance was pretty special, fantastic,
2: and it's something that is comparable to what we saw with Jet Lawrence in the same race. I'm talking about in the same race, and um, there is also a really easy human side. While you see your uh, young talent, your young rider, that you did everything for him, you were working so much, you were pushing so much, putting. Uh, so much effort to let him succeed and grow. And then the moment this rider will uh, go on the next level bike and championship, you need to give up to come back on, on let grow new talents uh, like peniston like Rickelzinga, like maybe Andrea Bonacourt. Uh, it's something that is a little bit frustrating. And sometimes, you know, uh, the will of succeed um, create this kind of... Uh, uh, discontinuity, disruptor, and you say, okay, yeah, that was my rule. MX2, the team, the factory team, but now I want also to have at least one bike in MXGP because I deserve, I do my job perfectly. This is my rider. He's growing in my team since the last four years. We we won a lot, and now we want to do for the next together because it will. it's not easy to work with Iago Gers. I'm pretty sure it's such a nice guy, really easy person, but to understand properly how to work with him and how let him have the best for him and for it's not easy i'm pretty sure that uh, when you find a good deal you know with the good technician good mechanics good team and good surrounding
0: it's difficult to
2: change everything
0: yeah um ed do you want to add anything before we go into part two
1: yes it's going to be obviously interesting to see how that plays out and it's you know it's obviously sad. Elzing is not out, but you know he was speaking to you recently, saying he was just having a, a lot of issues dealing with the pressure and the anxiety and the mental stress that that it's placed on him this season. And you know obviously he's had the injury and that's put him out for a little bit. But he's a super talented rider, and he's another one of these guys like Guillaume who was not that far off quitting the sport pretty recently. So it'd be good to see he him come back to to form because he did so well in Argentina. We can't we can't forget that he really did impress there, and then. It's it's a bit of a funny um, framework there. Obviously, three great riders, but they're all sort of like a team within a team because obviously Yago's doing his thing. And it's it's a funny dynamic when you've got someone like Beneston. they're both title challengers. So, you know, they're probably not, you know, interacting and engaging with each other, you know, he- yeah. heaps, you know, because they, they're their own, their own character and they got their own goals and, and aims. So, yeah, it's just... Just those little things that work in teams, it, it must be just such a challenge for the owners and the riders and the mechanics and all the staff to, to deal with that, which you'd know firsthand, Lorenzo. But, yeah, it'll just be good to, to see those guys. And it's good, you know, it's horrible what happened to Iago. I hope we can get back into it. But now the next contender stepped up, Benistot, and he's definitely been electric the last couple of rounds. So, you know, good luck stopping him in Germany, I believe.
2: Yeah, don't, don't forget the last year, uh, if uh, Iago lost, this title uh, was also because uh, he has one more uh, rival uh, in his team, because uh, uh, his teammate uh, stole. I would mm. say, you know, stole. In fact, he was faster than him in France and in other places. In France, there was a deep crisis. It was uh, a huge fight uh, under the owning with uh, uh, Thibaut, his family, the team, Jago's uh, uh, part of the team. I mean. Uh, Everyone was expecting that the team will ask Thibault to put on the side, you know, and while you are leading the GP of your own GP in France or in front of your fans, and you can win and you can succeed. And you never consider yourself done till you arrive at the last race or last two races, and then you can maybe consider to help your teammate. So it's not easy. It wasn't easy. Uh, they did it well of course uh, but uh, uh Thibault is uh, coming from marseille from south of france uh, from that area they're not easy they're quite strong so the Thibaut as a as a good character i would say a lot of
0: yeah absolutely um that's part one over and done with. Hopefully you enjoyed the uh the MX2 overview from the MXGP of Latvia. Uh Parts Europe distributes spare parts, accessories, and rider equipment for all motorbike segments in Europe. We support the sport. That's what Parts Unlimited or Parts Europe is known for. One of the things which uh Parts are uh, you know, one of their brands is uh for racing and uh obviously moose racing brands. Uh You know, you haven't got to look too far with with Cooper Webb in the US, uh, Calvin Vlander and Jorge Prado, Lagenfelder, Jonas Bogers, Guadagini and obviously the nine times world champion ambassador um, and Lorenzo's best friend, uh, Tony (laughs) Crowley. <laughs> huge thanks to uh parts of Europe and uh Lorenzo is um sharing football scores at the moment. I think is that is that a happy uh a happy score, Lorenzo? No, no, no it's not a happy no, score. it's more happy okay. for the British. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a Tottenham <laughs> fan in, in and there's an Arsenal fan, so uh yeah, we're, we're not worried about West Ham. Um huge thank you to Kawasaki UK, AS3 performance parts, even strokes, four MX. Um, if you are a brand and you are listening to this show, then why are you not on here? 327,000 plays this year alone, that's since January the 5th. Last year, 2022, we had 325,000 plays the whole entire year. This year, we've doubled it and we're n- literally just in June, so we can't thank our audience enough. 50 50 split between the UK, uh, for, between the US and Europe. So, all these American fans who are coming on to listen to this boy from the West Country and this crazy Australian guy who uh, knows everything about football and motocross, and uh, Lorenzo, JT, Calvin, all these people that have come on and, and, and made these podcasts um, you know, so successful this year. I can't thank them enough. But if you're from the industry, You're wanting to get your brand out there and you want us to talk about it and get in contact. Uh, That's part one done. We'll be back for part two. Welcome back to 129 of the MX Vice Show. That just always sounds crazy when we get to 129, 130 next week. Jesus. Uh, Part two is brought to you by AS3 Performance Parts. Uh, If you've not heard of ASP Performance Parts, then you need to. They ship uh, to Europe within two to four days, America within five to six, and uh, next day delivery in the UK. These guys are one of the biggest aftermarket motocross and enduro parts companies now in the UK, and they are growing every year. Ben and his team are doing an absolutely amazing job at growing the business and producing parts which are literally uh on the toes if not in front of a lot of their rivals the home of aftermarket motocross and enjoy parts from hardware and protection parts including skid plates and radiator braces to performing cooling parts including silicon radiator hoses and oversized and pedicutes as3 also have a huge range of brake clutch and gear levers all with different features and adjustability check them out at as3performance.co.uk uh, if you're into all your little bling bits as well, like all, all different colors for your bikes and stuff like that, then AS3 is the place to go. Everything, you just go online, put in your bike, make, model, and uh, you select what you want, and away you go. Literally, check out within about three clicks, and uh, that'll be with you uh, in a couple of days. Um, we talked all things MX2. Um, the title is, is you know, is, is just shaping up lovely in there. However uh let's talk mxgp and uh the king the current king of mxgp well we say current king um because he is the king cuz guys is not there uh jeffrey herlins uh reaffirmed his dominance um lorenzo would you say that was a track for jeffrey to um to shine on the weekend
2: um i would say that since couple of uh, GPs, maybe more than couple of GPs, every track is a track for Jeffrey. Every track is a track where he can shine. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, uh, it's it's astonishing what he, what he's able to do. He could do it the same in France, maybe not going for one one, but winning the GP. I'm pretty sure. Do you Without think we see promoter? another Prado
1: hurling incident, which you were right on the scene of, mate?
2: <laughs> yes, it's you know, it's a kind of uh, in, in Spain, in Portugal, uh, it has been always in the last races so dominant, um, most because he don't start so well. Uh, he had, I think, one whole shot in, uh, in the whole season and uh, even starting in the top two, three, it's, it's not easy for him. So uh, it's it's a dominant season for him as uh, even if he doesn't have the red plate since the beginning of the season so we don't forget that uh, the most constant rider at the moment is leading the the series is the one who was able to put a performance on to be on the podium at every single gp apart of the home gp while he scored the same points of his uh country uh ruben fernandez but he went on the podium only to collect this red plate. In fact, uh, he was fourth overall with equal points with the third. But is a kind of really constant performance. Um, I think that there is a strategy behind uh, this uh, uh, this choice. Uh, I think that uh, the work that he's doing with the team and with Jules Metz is really a work done on this. Uh, considering that every one of us has a kind of limits physical limits, mental limits. We all have to deal with our limits every day. Uh, When you are doing your job properly as a coach, as a team manager, as a chief technician, you have to deal with this. If you just put the hands on your eyes and and you think that your rider doesn't have limits, then you start making probably the biggest mistake. So, considering that everyone has a limit, the the work is to find this limit and work on this. So you can work to being better and reduce this limit and let those limits have less impact on your results. Or you can do a different job while you cannot uh, go through this limit and it's going around this limit. And I think with this new uh, points uh, system uh, who gets 10 points, Uh, on Saturday, and with two motos in this way, the the game uh, was to do the best possible on the qualifying race and the best possible with the starts. So everything is focused on the shorter race and on the starts. When you put together these three stuff, you have an average of points, and it's shown by the numbers, that is huge is enormous and can take you to the title apart of if you have someone that doesn't have limits, doesn't care about statistics, about numbers and broke all the rule. And this is Jeffrey Erlings. But you know the story tells that everything can happen and everything happened in past to him. So still the best thing to do is to be the more consistent on the track and during the weekend, the race weekend, and to try to take the best out of every race. Then we'll see. This was also a kind of strategy for Tony. Tony did the opposite for the half of his career, doing easy in the qualifying, in the practice, in stuff like that, and then going wild as an animal in the last five minutes of the 35 minutes, because at that time we had 35 minutes. And I was looking at... for example, uh, uh, just to come back to Latvia, to 2009 second moto in Latvia. Tony Cairoli was uh, in a good position, uh, but uh, it wasn't in the best position to, to win the race. And he had to deal with uh, a rider that was really strong at that moment. It was Clement de Salle with a Suzuki. Five minutes to the end, there is a click in in uh, Tony's head and Tony starts pushing passing, he gives to Clement 1.8 seconds in one section of the track, one sector only, while at that time it were the waves at that point. He passed him and he went away, going for the victories. He was so probably disappointed and surprised Clement that he finished probably sixth that model with only the five minutes to the end while he was second. And Tony was able to do whatever he wanted in the last five minutes out of 35. Uh, it looks to me that uh, uh, Jorge is reducing the risk uh, like he was doing uh, Tony, but Jeffrey is doing the last 10 minutes of the race uh, like was Tony while he was younger. And he's using this kind of extra boost at the end that is. Nobody can do nothing against this. Only himself can do something. Who is the, the best, the top contender of the bullet is the bullet. The, the top adversary of the bullet is the bullet always. It has been like that since the beginning, but now it, it's even more true because nobody can beat him at the end of the race. At the beginning, we saw Roman. Roman was second model. He passed him. He passed him quite easy. Everyone, I think, was like, "Oh my God, what is happening here?" There, it's like while in 2021, Roman won the race uh, in Lommel. I, I was going out of the press room to see if we still had the sand on on the track or, or if it was uh, uh, deep mud or whatever. Because I said Roman winning in Lommel, yeah, and Roman showed that in 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 Kekums again on the sand, even if it's not deep sand, It was really good. This year it was not in a good shape. He yeah, had the operation. Uh, a few weeks before and it was fantastic in, in, in Riola. So, okay, uh, it was really good but still nobody at the end of the motto can beat uh, Jeffrey Erlings. What he's doing Jeffrey Erlings? I really don't understand. He's riding every weekend. He's taking all the, the maximum of the risk it looks to me. Eh? Maybe then for him he's just going around and cruising around in different championships but every start you do to me is a big is one more risk. And while you start in French Championship, English Championship or British, sorry, Championship and Dutch Championship every weekend. I don't know. It's to me, I'm always uh, afraid, you know, when I see this. But you know probably what he's doing, but I don't understand from outside. And he's pushing his level to me on a new one. Because with this kind of uh, uh, condition, I think it would be hard for everybody. To beat him, even for uh, for team, then the le- the fight would be fantastic, probably in this moment, uh, with a good level of team and a good level of Jeffrey. But for the rest, the only one that is able to stay there with him is Orge, because he's trying to minimize all the risk and to uh, make uh, the best out of every motto.
0: On on that note, I, I completely agree that the last five, ten minutes of, of the motos, uh what Jeffrey's in, is it, just like he he's got a different gear to everybody else. And and we've seen that so often this year. Um one thing with Prado is Prado's been amazingly consistent. I mean, you look at his look at his results this year you know 25 15 25 15 25 20 25 20 25 15 22 16 18 20 22 20. that that is that's consistency that is a a even on his on a even on his worst day it's a seventh or you you know and an eighth um that's that's a championship performance there you know from from Jorge this year however like you say, it, sometimes it feels like he he is being too safe. Now, do you, when you've got Jeffrey in the mode that Jeffrey's in, at what point is Jorge going to need to start taking risks? Because we're starting to get down to the last part of the year. You know, we're 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 halfway through. Um, well, we're just coming up to halfway through. Um, Germany will be will be the halfway stage. If Jeffrey does dominate Germany and uh, brings those points back, because there's only 15 points in it at the moment, at what point, Lorenzo, given what you know of of, of Jorge and, and the team and everything else, at what point are they going to have to start taking risks? It's really interesting
2: because I was considering that the championship uh, uh, at the moment uh, as a kind of, uh, 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 I could say, uh, the way he's going the championship, uh, it looks really similar to the way is going every motto. Uh, Jorge starts good, start in front, is up there till the moment that Jeffrey come past him and goes away. Uh, I feel a little bit like it could be like this the championship that Jorge started first in, in Argentina, is going really well till the half of the championship, and then maybe. Uh, Jeffrey will take the lead and go away what I'm not uh, um, I don't know I'm a little bit uh, I try to understand is that uh, Jorge while he has to fight with other riders uh, is really good he's even probably one of the worst riders to fight with because he's really not easy I remember the huge fight he has with uh, Tony with Cairoli in the last two years I mean not last year but 20 and 2021 uh, I remember some of the good fight he has with uh, Romain Fevre or with other riders but with Jeffrey it looks like uh, we have two options or Jeffrey doesn't give any chance to the other to fight back and so he's just passing and going away so fast that you cannot do nothing and this can be this because we, we saw it also in Arco di Trento while uh, uh, even Maxime Renault said uh, we, we, we even didn't understood where, where, where he passed you know it was so fast and, and it was a kind of tornado and we were like almost looking at each other, still going for a moto, uh, thinking, OK, what we do now. And that's something. On the other way, uh, I think he has to invent something to fight. So, or you go not for another level of speed, because when you see that the the speed all those guys have during the practice is almost similar. The problem is to, to put this speed on five minutes to the end. Because when you see the lap times, is uh, doing like almost ever the best lap, at three, four laps to the end. And he's going on for the next one. This can happen at every race? I don't know. Uh, there will be a moment while Horge will change his strategy? I don't know. I think it's difficult now to change the strategy while you are on this system. And it's not so easy to, to act in a different way against some, someone that is like a hammer. And uh, you have only to do your best, as I, as I said, also because there are limits. And I think that the only limit that Jorge has is a little bit of physical limit at the end of the motos, most on the second one. And this, you can, uh, as I said one time to add, Jorge is a worker. Is a scientist on his body. He's someone that is doing everything perfectly. Biking, riding, footing, eating, whatever is doing in a perfect way. Going to sleep early, never party. It's perfect. It's not maybe like uh, someone like Glenn Koldenoff, uh, but it's perfect. And he's not suffering about this. Like Jeffrey suffering this. I always remember Jeffrey at the end of every season and said, ah, oh, finally I can eat whatever I want. I can go to the McDonald's I can <laughs> go eat. Yes, you know, donuts, uh, ice cream and get fatter. But he's suffering doing this. Uh, probably he's not suffering riding because he loves to, but all the rest, yes. Organ, no, Orgue is a machine. So he's doing already his best on the physical side. And if you don't, if you're not able now to perform uh, better at the end of the second motor or at the end of the moto, it would be even worse the, while uh, the temperature will uh rise to high temperature, you know, while we while will be really hot because Jorge is one of uh, the few who suffers a little bit with uh, with the heat. Also, uh, Jeffrey is not really the best in the heat. I remember Ottobiano a couple of years ago, 2017, probably while Tony won the race. Uh, Jeffrey was even not able to on the podium, why he was so tired that he could not reach the podium. And I think uh, they sent someone uh, instead of him. But uh, um, I think this is what I was saying in the beginning. You have a limit. This case is a a physical limit you have to deal with. You have only to hope that the other one is doing something wrong. Maybe you can do something to just trying to uh, let him do something wrong. Like sometimes it happens. And Orca is normally very good on this. But it's time to act because without the problem with the peg uh, in France, it would be already red plate. Huh? We don't forget this. It would be like 10 points at least of av- advantage in the in the championship. So uh, it's time to think about something different if you want to, to keep this red plate who is well-deserved for the moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's not doing anything wrong, is he, Jorge? It's just Jeffrey is just so good. And and yeah. and that's the thing. You like we're we're saying changing strategy is because Jorge's doing everything right, but like you say, Jeffrey is like a hammer and he will keep hammering away. So it's you know, you can Jorge can keep doing what he's doing and and you know, um and and it will be a very fantastic second place at the end of the championship. Or he yeah. he you know, he he tries to win every um qualifying race. He tries to sort of Get those sprint laps in at the start and tries to pull away because we we know how great he is at starting. But I don't know. I I can imagine that they have a strategy, they have a plan, and I, I'm pretty sure that they feel they're in control at the moment. But again, from from the outside looking in, it definitely feels like Jeffrey is 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 chipping away. Um. Also, uh, febra's performances this year. I mean, Spain's a real shame because if he hadn't had. Uh, the issues he had in in Spain with the crash, um, I think he would be um, there or thereabouts, or you know he's still going to be a few points off of off of um, Prado, but he would have been applying the pressure to the front two as well. He, he's still there, he's still chipping away, but again, uh, it, it's it's going to be hard for Roman because. Prado and Hurlins are just so good and so consistent at the moment. So that third is looking like a, a, you know, a very distant third at the moment when actually it could have been a lot closer. What One of the riders I wanted to talk to you about, uh, about Resta was um, someone who I've been just, you know, uberly impressed with this year is, um, is Albie Ferrato. Uh, and I know I'm kind of jumping around here with, with, with riders And uh, we probably should be going in hierarchical order, but he obviously had um, a tough old time in France. And that was a very, very scary crash. The way that he's performed this year and the way he banks back again the weekend, I'm super impressed because everybody, when you look at Ferrato, you might think that he's like old, but he's still very, very young. Um, Yeah. What can you give us some insight and sort of a little bit about Albi, obviously? because obviously being italian he's italian i'm english he's italian it's, it's I'm, I'm guessing you've got a little bit more uh, knowledge about him
2: alberto is a, is a fantastic person first of all uh, he's a kind of mad guy um really always having some funny ideas some funny stuff to do doesn't care about nothing doesn't care about pain. Doesn't care about the people who are saying that he's too big for uh, riding motocross since he was a kid. I remember the first time I saw uh, I saw Alberto riding. Uh, uh, I mean, riding, uh, competing. It was on a 150 on that of the 150 on the European Championship. Don't forget that we had a European yeah, Championship one. I and at that time, there were two, three good riders from Italy. One was uh, Alberto Forato, another one was uh, Grigoletto, that was his uh, contender who won the title, I think, that first year. But um, the remaining on, on Alberto, Alberto has always been uh, the big boy you know, on every bike, he was too big. I remember some incredible performance he had while he was riding in the madi Uscuarna team in the European EMX 250 like Arco Di Trento, a performance that I will never forget while he was able probably to bend his bike the, the, ch- the chassis of his bike just to corner faster uh, because it, it was a motor, sometimes he was picking his bike uh, from, from the handlebar and turning, you know, like putting both uh, uh, boots on, on the ground and just turn the bike with such a kind of rage and he won an incredible race, but this is the pure power Alberto has. Alberto, uh, if he wasn't uh, a MXGP rider or a motocross rider, he was a, a timber. Uh, a timber, I mean, uh, in, in the mountains uh, going for, for trees, you know? Uh, yeah, like
0: A uh, <laughs> lumberjack,
2: yeah, lumberjack, sorry. yeah, a lumberjack. Yeah, a because uh, it, it's it's a kind of he loves uh he loves uh, uh breaking the the woods and cutting the trees and and he has a kind of physique to do it and and sometimes he's riding as he, he he was cutting a tree uh so with with the most of the power he he, he can put on but alberto on the meantime it's a really sensitive person uh only few uh, know him very well, uh, like personally, and I'm not one of those, even if I have a very good relationship with him, because it's really funny. We share a passion for running a few years ago. And uh, uh, and, and so it was really, it, it's some really guy that can surprise you a lot. It always has been a hard worker. Uh, even if uh, not always he succeed uh, on this uh, on this job he does on his body, because of course he has the tendency of uh, growing too much and uh, being too big for the bike and having uh, too much weight for uh, having good start. It's really difficult for him to have a good start with his weight. 450 helps him a little bit uh, compared to the 250. Of course, while it was really uh, a problem, but uh, but Alberto. It's surprising everyone with incredible performance. And it's a shame that in France he had 2-0 because it could be today like, I don't know, 15, 20 points behind Calvin Vlanderen, uh, seventh in the standings, uh, second best privateer on track. Um, we were to- I was talking on the phone today with a former rider, I mean, former motocross rider, but still a rider. That is Alex Salvini. I don't know if you remember Alex uh, he won uh, an, oh, exactly. uh, Enduro title in 2013. He was a good motocross rider, really stylish. And those days on, he's a Fantic rider. He's riding Rally Raid, so Paris Dakar, the, Dakar. and he's doing also the Italian uh, Rally Raid Rally um, Motor Rally Championship. That is a really good um, championship in Italy, and he's a factory rider for uh, for Fantic. So I was talking with him, and, I said, and he told me, Ah, Alberto was fantastic because they are in the same kind of crew. Uh, everything turns around dovizioso just to let you know because there is the okay. Andrea dovizioso who is passionate with riding he is um physical trainer uh Yuri is a physical trainer also for Alberto and they ride often together so it's a kind of same crew and, and also Alex is in there and and he told me he told me ah fantastic it was fantastic to see Alberto so well on a, such a difficult track also And I said, yeah, but also Lupino was good. You see, he was eight and nine. But he told me something true. The performance was really different because Alberto was much faster always, also in the lap times, and able to be a little bit more in front. Um, Alessandro, who is now getting a little older and is just managing with with this moment while you have to manage with your energy, he was uh, doing the perfect job. Good start and then being there, losing just a couple of places. Uh, so Alberto this year is, is doing everything almost perfect. The bike is uh, really good at performing. And uh, and I think that he uh, can still do pretty well. I was talking with Cairoli, uh, um, not at the last GP, but in France. And he said, you know what? This year we can have finally another time a very good Italian team for the nation. Because Alberto... And at the time, Mattia was an injured. Uh, Mattia and, and Adamo could be a really good performing team fighting for the podium. Uh, and I said to him, yeah, that's true, that's true. And it was, of course, after Spain, while uh, Mattia went on the podium for the first time in MXGP. So we were a little bit maybe too much enthusiast about this, but uh, um, so Alberto is he, doing pretty well. And I think that uh, he will never be. I said this last time and with Ed, we were. he was like, laughing a lot. I said he will never be on a factory team. He's not a rider made for a factory team. Why? I don't know. Maybe his personality, the way he presents himself, the ways. But he can do a very good job and a brilliant career staying on a good private uh, team and uh, and doing races like he did uh, last weekend.
0: Yeah, well that was going to be my second question was um you know when when you look at riders who are not currently on a factory team obviously Vlanderen is is the one which you know stands out you know and we've talked about that numerous occasions on the show. Um but Ferrato's really throwing his um is uh, straw hat in the ring. Um <laughs> because uh <laughs> because of the performance he's putting in and 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 I think he's getting better. every GP he seems to be improving in there's not many riders which you can say that um you can visibly see a world championship level improving, but i I feel like every GP he just seems to be getting better.
2: He's probably on the same program uh, as Jeffrey Erlings doing better at every GP. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah, uh, it's, the hammer.
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought really you were smart. coming out with some 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 insight information where uh, <laughs> Alby's been hanging out with um, Herlins and uh, staying in his uh, spare room.
2: No, but I can tell you that the bike is is is, is pretty good. And uh, in France, he received a couple of boxes full of uh, parts for his bike, coming directly from Austria. And that's is always a good news while you you're riding an orange bike. But um, but he, his bike is improving and he is improving 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 himself a lot, uh, as also Alessandro is doing because Alessandro had a bad start of the season. It was somehow looking a little bit like the beginning of last year, even if it's impossible to do worse than last year. And then he's growing and growing and growing, and now he's putting himself almost uh, every time on uh, on top ten. What is uh, letting grow? A lot because the score at the beginning of the season was horrible. was 004, 026, 06, Then now it's 11 11, 11 12, and stuff like that. So it's much, much better. For what concerns Alberto, he, he's paying a lot now, this double zero in France. But the way he is, is one of the few that will crush hard but he will uh, pick himself uh, back after 30 seconds, taking the bike at least back to the team and riding the next race. In Latvia, he still had a lot of bruise, a lot of uh, tape on the the leg, on the shoulder, everywhere, but he really doesn't care so much. As I said, he's a kind of lumberjack of the the motocross.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I sort of went past him when he was just coming out of medical and I was kind of you okay? He was like, just about, just about, and but he he was he was like, yeah, I kind of got bruised here and I ache here, but nothing broken, and it was just yeah. like shrugged yeah. it off and, and get on with it. And when you actually see the crash, you're just like, how did he even walk away from that one? But um, that takes me on nicely to the beta team because obviously earlier this week it was uh, announced that um, Bloss would be riding um, uh, a beta uh obviously for supercross um yep. were you surprised at that announcement given that uh they're still obviously testing um with ben and with lupino um they're they're not a big factory team so like it takes a little while to test this these these the bikes and, and get the, the products so do you think you know is this is this kind of a bit too um a bit too adventurous for for beta to be kind of looking at supercross as well as mxgp at the moment or you're like ah okay i think that i think they've got this i was
2: surprised too because uh i was already surprised while they decided to come to motocross honestly they are their background is enduro uh, and they are doing pretty well this year in enduro It's incredible that the, the performance of the riders is are uh, the best out, out there and they are, I, As I told you, I'm uh, working also for the Motorelli Italian Championship and when I see how many beta are in front and how many beta are on the starting gate, uh, imagine that an Italian Championship um, rally ride, uh, we had already like 300 riders uh, at every race, the average is 300 riders and I think that like at least 70 riders are riding beta, so uh, it's a small factory, they're doing a fantastic job. Uh, behind the project there is uh, one guy, a former rider, probably not so successful as a rider, but I remember I saw him riding while Tony was starting and I was in coming to motocross in 2004-2005, there's Fabrizio Dini, and, uh, and the, the, the group is doing a fantastic job. Now, going for supercross, I honestly was surprised like you, you are, because... Uh, I don't know if, uh, I always think, but probably I'm not a marketing guy, I'm not uh, uh, having a company, uh, so I don't know. I feel that most of the time you have to stick, not only with your ruts, but uh, with your clients, you know. And uh, I don't see super cross people going for a beta. But I was no. also surprised why they they made the motocross bike and then they succeed. You don't see so many, eh? I have to say, when you go to the track and you see you see just few, and one maybe is from Lupino and one from uh, uh, from Watson. But uh, um, yeah. going for Supercross, uh, I don't know. You are building up something new probably. You know, we are. We will see soon uh, a triumph uh, in motocross and in supercross. So, and it's not a Bonneville for sure. So, uh, today, <laughs> today marketing uh, is open to to many different solutions. A few years ago, while we were thinking to see a KTM on a racetrack, a road racetrack, we were like, oh, disgust! <laughs> you know, like it's not possible. <laughs> Today, yeah. they are running with a few of the best riders and they are going fighting even for the title, probably. So uh, the world is changing really fast. So nothing is impossible. Of course, it's a small company and uh, I don't see so clearly the sense to go in Supercross. But Maybe they will use the experience they have in motocross and they find out that it's not so difficult then to to, to do something also in Supercross.
0: Yeah, it 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 took me by surprise and I wanted to see if you had any uh what your thoughts were or whether there was a a known pathway which I wasn't um privy to. So um yeah, thanks for uh shedding light on that one, Lorenzo. Um going back to um uh to MXGP, obviously Jeremy C. were uh was fantastic in France. Um just just a different level to everybody else. Um track suited him very, very well. And then, obviously, get to Latvia, which is another kind of track. Which, um, let's say, you have to be quite open with the throttle to um, to do very well, um, a good starter. But it didn't work out for him.
2: Eight races, one podium. It was a fantastic victory. At this podium is not a third place uh, uh, on equal points with the fourth, but uh, eight races, one victory. While uh, we were expecting him to fight for the title there is still something to work on uh, of course this weekend in latvia is special uh, like it was in spain because in spain he was sick he was able to start very well and to be in front at the beginning and then he was it was really sick in latvia there was a problem the weather problem the problem with the start of the uh, qualifying moto and this affected to me the complete weekend uh, because it was really really difficult to come back to come up in, in a mixed GP without a good start. And as I said about the start of the Latvian GP, has always been really, really tough and difficult and sketchy. So I think uh, this crash affected a little bit. I'm really curious to see him in um, uh, Germany, as is a kind of track where he can really perform pretty well. And uh, and so I'm expecting a good race with two good starts or three good starts at least. So <clears throat> we we will see him back in Germany, I'm pretty sure about.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think um Germany is, you know, a perfect trap for him. Um, you know, if he can get those starts. And and again, maybe he can uh uh spice things up between Herlins and Prado with um those two gunning for the title. So he might <laughs> sort of start to uh take points away. Um I'm and I'm not dreaming this, um, but Geyser was back on the bike this week.
2: Yeah, that's. I don't know if. Yeah, I'm pretty sure every one of you have seen the video, the real that was out uh, from him with um, the, the worst moment uh, after the crash, the beginning of the rehabilitation, and everything. Um, the, the way it was painful. This uh, the, this journey for him. He said that was one of the worst. I'm pretty sure it was the worst of his career. I hope he will never go through something similar in the future, as nobody deserves this. Nobody of us, nobody of the riders. It's um, for everyone of us, this will be like, okay, I will never run again. I will never walk the same again. I will never do the same life again. For them, it's something like I will come back stronger than before what for me is almost impossible to even think about not understand but think about Um, so uh, i really really hope that he will come back soon Um, i was speaking with Giacomo in France and he told me he will be on the bike uh, next week so it was true i mean it was two weeks after but it was true and he said but still our journey is longer not before not earlier than two months then i was surprised but then, considering in France we were uh, still in May and uh, we will be in July at Locket, I think that Locket can be the right place where we will uh, see him back at the races. I don't know if he will do some uh, national championship before just to prepare himself, but I don't think because he do not need to come back and perform at his best and fighting for something. He just need to come back. And we miss him a lot.
0: Yeah, and I'm kind of i'm just casting an eye over the championship because we've been talking about prado and hurlins but when you've got um obviously jeremy who's going to be taking points off of them you've got fernandez who's who's capable of taking points off of them Coldenhoff is always gonna be you know those one-off races where he just literally just is like you're scratching your head with like how can you not do that at every round um and then uh, I think Renault will probably be out for the rest of the year. Um, but obviously, is going to be coming back. And you, you got to think that when it comes to Italy and in, in, in Great Britain, he's going to be there or thereabouts again. So um, they they all could be factors. Um, the, the riders which are going to be, you know, sort of, would have been contenders at the start of the year. Um, they, they, they could actually start taking points out of the championship riders come the end. So I guess yeah it just adds another little um, curveball into uh into what's going to happen this year with the championship because although we have got two sort of runaway leaders um at the front it that doesn't basically tell us the whole story that there is five or six riders there who are capable of winning
2: yeah i'm a little bit afraid for for orge in this uh, in this sense because if uh people like uh, Romain, like Fernandez, uh, uh, like uh, Jeremy, and maybe maybe few-month uh, team can be in the middle of the fight and stall points, uh, the one who is most concerned is probably Jorge. As um, for what concerns Jeffrey is more able at the end of the motos to stay in front. So if Jeffrey will keep uh, running in this way, of course, with Orge second, if someone can put in be in the middle, it will be in the middle of Jeffrey first and Jorge third, maybe. So uh, I hope this will not help even more uh, Jeffrey to, to get his title. Uh, the one who will win uh, will deserve the title, that's for sure. And at the moment, both, they deserve to be there in front. One for one reason, the other for another reason. Uh, but... Uh, I'm expecting to see Jeremy more and more there fighting with them, like Romain, uh, like uh, Ruben, who had uh, three quarter of uh, the weekend perfect uh, in Latvia and then uh, uh, destroyed everything with just one crash in uh, second moto. But it's, uh, as I told you, if we look at the last races apart of the second moto in France, all the riders that are in the middle most of the time are in the middle with Jeffrey in front and, uh, and this doesn't help, uh, uh, Jorge at all.
0: No. Um, looking at the, uh, the rest of the riders from, from the weekend, um, Vlanderum, we've mentioned, uh, another, another consistent performance. Uh, he must be on a few people's, um, uh, lists for, uh, for next year. Um, Guadagini, have you got an update on Guadagini at all? Uh, Lorenzo? Yeah, yeah. for Mattia it will take
2: still a while of course uh, I was happy to see him at the uh, it was a, a Red Bull uh, uh, straight rhythm in Italy last week uh, and uh, he was able to be there at the race uh, cheering of course his, uh, his friends and he's a Red Bull athlete it's strange really strange to see that he doesn't have a cast and he doesn't have nothing apparently on his arm from outside so this for me is always like, oh my God, but that's the next level of uh, uh, today's medicine. So, so, no, so you know, it's like, I'm not not ready for this still. And I was like scared for him to see him in the picture. Say, oh no, he's so fragile, my God, but he's not, of course. Like uh, um, Tim was able to walk two days after the operation with a broken femur. Walking—that's for me. It sounds so, so still wild, but it's like it is. Uh, so, Matia is uh, still. Uh, we will have to wait uh, a little bit. But what concern? Uh, uh, Calvin, of course, is doing his best season so far. Probably the most consistent uh, um, uh, season. As I told to add a couple of times already, I don't think that this year we will have so many surprises as we had in past with. Bogers or blunder winning GPs because the level of the first two, three riders is so good that it's really difficult to consider. When you have Jeffrey and Horge in good shape, it's really difficult to win, for example, in the sand. But still, you can be always there, and is what he's doing. Uh, sixth overall in the standings with a fantastic performance and always so consistent is, fun, is really good for him. Then uh, thinking about seeing on a factory bike I'm not sure if it's the best for him to me he found already the best balance he can have with a team just for him working for him with what he needs and no pressure, nothing but it's everything with him for him and and it's working perfectly Uh, uh, of course uh, we can have places in the factory teams but where? KTM? No Honda? No uh, Yamaha no Kawasaki maybe but I think Ed will say I hope no because then it would be an Australian getting away and I love uh, the the.
1: Yeah, he's, good. he's he's looking good Mitch I've spoken to Taka the test rider who does a lot with them and the new, the new KX450 the development of that and he was saying Mitch um, he spoke to you too James saying that Germany is where he's really looking to sort of break that top 10 and make some good strides Latvia was just a weekend to get through and you know tacker works with these guys and you know some pretty cool insights with him about Feverage to say what what a competitive animal is he just he just like he sets the bike up and he doesn't touch it too much he he knows that he's the rider and he can make the difference the bike is important obviously he wants that they work really hard to get that platform and that base but once he's found it he's pretty pretty good to go and you know it's interesting the contrast they obviously very different people very different riding styles very different characteristics and it's a it's a cool balance they have and yeah mitch is um yeah, Mitch is one of the most talented guys out there. You know the speeds there when he's fit, the styles there. It's all the ingredients are there. Just need to get him injury free and get a big run of a big, you know, block of you know a year or two just to see what he can really do. But yeah, mate, definitely look. Hopefully, Mitch stays there because that, that that seems to be the team with Antti. It's a it's a great framework there for him. And yeah, so it um, have
2: so many other options. You know, like better,
1: no. but
2: then you, you, there are not so many good, good, good places, you know, out there. So it's um, it's not easy. It's not easy for all the riders that uh, uh, deserve a factory bike. For example, like we said before, Ron Van de Mosdijk. But also, I don't know if it's the best choice for a rider like him uh, to step out uh, of, of a structure where everything is going well, you know. So uh, we'll see.
0: Yeah. The uh the Triumph team's obviously gonna be the one which throws a bit of a bit of a curveball at everybody because the amount of money they put into the team, having um Ricky Carmichael and um you know DeSalle as Test Riders, you know, they're obviously they got Thierry obviously who's gonna be running the the, the XCLS CLS team, so you know, very well put together team. They're they're obviously investing massively in this. Um they're I can't see them wanting to go into this project with, um, two sort of, you know, fifteen to twentieth riders. They're they're <laughs> going to be looking to, you know, potentially sign a couple of um uh riders which have the potential. The the one one which comes up on my mind is, is somebody like Holdenhoff, whether like you know a, 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 that type of rider who possibly could be coming out of Yamaha at the end of this year. Um, he's available um he's has the ability to you know on his day to to put in a great performance so um to put triumph up there uh but i guess it it, you know i I, i'm just guessing at the moment because we're not sure ourselves but you would have thought that triumph would be investing in a, a a top 10 rider I'm pretty sure about, but they we will still have to wait
2: one more year because that will be for 2025 in MXGP. Uh, for 2024, it will be two riders in MX2. And as you said, I don't see them taking uh, a rider in between 15 and 25. It will be a rider in the top 10 today, but it will be not easy, of course. Uh, I agree on the choice you did for, uh, for MXGP rider because I will go immediately with a rider like Glenn. Hyper-professional rider, able, uh, really fine on tuning of the bike, on setting on the bike, so giving really good information, like probably already Clément is giving, even if Clément is now a while that is out of the races, but really a kind of uh, a rider that can help them to grow to to a good level. Uh, So maybe if he runs out of contract this year, he can maybe put together one concert for one, year only in another team and then thinking about going to triumph or just taking one year out of the races, even if it's really difficult to do this and then come back in a championship one year after. But uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that this will change the game a little bit as a factory team that comes in with this will uh, and with this kind of intention is not a team that will just a brand that will come there just to put his name on the list of the factory teams or the brand that are represented. So I'm really curious. As an Italian, I'm even more curious to to see what Ducati will do, because thinking about a Ducati in a mixed GP that would be massive. The big difference at the moment is that of course Triumph they announced and they started working much earlier, but uh, they took a team. They had the chance. To take a team that is already formed, is already done. And uh, the the passion of Thierry Suzoni uh, is so big that he was paying this team at the beginning, even before the deal with Triumph, just to stay as a team, to remain a team. So everyone is paid as his own salary even if they don't uh, come to the races. And uh, Vincent Bereni, who was the team manager, is still there, he is now approaching the the the, the new structure, is trying to, to fix everything and to managing with, uh, with the future. And is uh, a great guy with a lot of experience also in America. And don't forget that they will come up uh, MXGP, I mean, MX2 and uh, Supercross uh, in the meantime. So it's really interesting. But while... Uh, The responsible of the Ducati project uh, uh, for the races uh, in uh, MXGP told me a few times uh, it was much easier to find a team in America to find a team in America already ready to race uh, than to create uh, a team in Europe because in Europe at the moment there are no there is nobody with a really good team that is. Uh, ready to change and to switch on uh, on Ducati, for example. Already, Giacomo Gariboldi said no to to the proposal he received from uh, from Ducati. So, it's not uh, it's not so easy. Then you will need to create a structure from zero. What can be a nightmare
0: yeah um I, that was my fault because i i i don't know why but i had it stuck in my mind that it was 450 the first year and 250 the year after for triumph but thank you for correcting me 250 no next year 450 the year after yeah <laughs> that's
2: uh i mean we have we have so many information going around that is easy to to just uh, uh make make confusion and to me it's I don't know why, but uh, I think it's more difficult to succeed in MX2 with the 250, having a super performance bike in 250 than in 450. So I will approach before to 450 because it's just easier to have a, a well-performing 450 bike. The 250, you really need to work hard to, to have an engine that is at the same level of the Yamaha KTM group bikes that are so high already, you know. But yeah,
0: that's, yeah. that's the a choice. Um, Ed, uh, is there anybody else you want to talk about in MXGP at the performances the weekend who I may have missed?
1: Yeah, I think we've covered most. Obviously, Glenn sort of went under the radar, and you know he did really well to do what he did, and um, yeah, he just he's just such a great rider to watch. He's just really really connected with the bike and the track, on especially on the surface like that. And um, yeah, Fernandez obviously the weekend didn't end to plan, but yeah, he showed some really good signs again, and his consistency has has been impressive. And you know, Valandry and I think he's yeah he's pretty much top 10 every race he scored in every qualifying race except one. And, you know, it's just a testament to how far he's come and what a great rider he is and all the hard work he's done. Cause you know, he's putting in a, a really big effort to, to make it all happen for him. One man team. And, you know, he's like leaning on the guys with the Hudson metal guys and his trainer for a lot of information. And they, they have chats on the weekends and it's, it's a pretty cool. He seemed really happy when I spoke to him a few weeks ago and just pleased and just wanting more, wanting to build up to that podium and, I reckon hopefully that's not too far away. And, yeah, hopefully, yeah, we'll, we'll see the standing construct. You know, we've seen Bogus has shown a few signs of improvement um, recently, and we look forward to seeing Jonas back in the future. And, obviously, we've got Jeremy Van Horbeek filling in this weekend in Germany. So, yeah, hopefully those guys can um, have a good little good weekend because they certainly do one that hasn't been easy for him. And, obviously, Ben Watson had one to forget too, and we, we look for a good comeback for him. And, obviously, the Italian-British connection with you two guys, it would be great to see.
0: well um i think if uh if you guys are ready i think we should probably look at our predictions for germany (laughs) prediction for germany that's um, a good one yeah so who, who are you thinking mxgp Lorenzo? who's your top three Teuschenthal has always been
2: a track for a double uh, victory, for uh, 25-25 normally. I mean, my first Teuschenthal was uh, back in 2004. Double victory for Brian Jorgensen, the only victory of his career. Uh, 2005, double victory for Michael Pichon. Then if we go a little bit more on, there was a double victory, I think, in 2009 probably or uh, Ken Baker uh, with the Yama Yamaha privateer, Yamaha Ricci. Uh, 2011, I was there on the top of the podium with Evgeny Bobryshev, Double victory. Uh, so many, many, many double victories statistically. <laughs> so uh, difficult to predict. I don't think so. Double victory for Jeffrey Erlings uh, in MXGP.
0: The hammer hurlings. <laughs> it's easy. It's Forget the easiest solution. Get the bullet.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the beast bone um, bullet. It's hard to go past him. But I think yeah, Febber and Jeremy will definitely throw a spanner in the works. But, yeah, it's just hard to look past hurlings at the moment and just keep an eye out for Spees. He's rocking a special shot kit for this weekend. Obviously, that'll be going straight in the lit kit gallery, James. But, um, yeah, he's really excited for the weekend. He's got some merch. Um, Obviously, with Langenfelder out, there'll be a lot of attention on him. And, yeah, it's cool to see someone, you know, he's only 19 and he's just a giant of a of a human and he rips the whips. Pretty cool. So there should be a few of them on show for you guys. But, yeah, just give a shout-out to him. Best overall finish on the weekend of 12th. And uh, hopefully it goes up from here. But, yeah, Hurlings, Prado, Fevra, looking pretty pretty good. And, obviously, I think with MX2, it's hard to sort of, after seeing Benestad last year excel, uh, I think we'll have to go with him and and Kai. And Andrea is—it's going to be hard to beat them for a podium.
2: Yeah, I agree. Totally. Yeah, next to Lorenzo. Yeah, Thibaut for me is uh, can be the most the best performer out there. Uh, I will put also Andrea and Liam uh, for for the podium because uh, Liam is doing pretty well uh, on the hard pack. What uh, he's surprising some time, you know that. Uh, Uh, We are organizing a a Grand Prix in September that is called Maggiore, Grand Prix of Italy. And uh, I was just thinking about the fact that uh, on that track, um, for sure, Harry Everts succeed. Then also uh, the father of uh, Liam, the great Stefan Evers succeed. Why uh, would it be nice to see another Everts. Uh, going for the first step of the podium uh, uh, so Liam uh, going for the victory I don't want to predict too early Majora but <laughs> I was thinking about the fact that there are not so many tracks where all the three of the three-day generation uh, were riding in past so it would be funny so for what concern uh, MX2 I already told you Benistan, Adamo, Everts.
0: Yeah, I think I'm. I'm going to be boring, guys, and I, you know I, I think Hurlins has got the bit between his teeth. It's it's hard to look past past him in the MXGP. Um, I think Jeremy quite rightly will bounce back. Um, will he have enough for Hurlins? I don't think he will. Um, I think Jeremy now is just literally all eyes on Prado. He wants that red plate, and I don't think he's going to wait around for it. So uh, I I would go Hurlins. Uh, um, I'll go Herlins, fevre uh, Seaworth for um the the podium. And then in uh in MX2, I'm gonna go for oh, I
1: forgot to yeah, mention go Lucas Tuna on that track too. Obviously, what he did in France, it's gonna be exciting to see that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um yeah, he could throw a spanner in the works. But I'm gonna go with Benestan. Um I'm gonna go Benestan, Adamo, um, and I'll go van Moostey. Van Moose's been quite good on the Harapat this year. So um yeah. I, he's been quite consistent. Um I I don't know why I've not picked a wolf. <laughs> like mm. just just done just done what he's done, but I don't know. Um I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> um anything else guys you wanna you wanna you wanna talk about before we uh we go out of our sponsors?
1: Yeah, just a quick, quick word on, uh, obviously, Rossi didn't get the result. It was an issue there, but uh, Rossi's riding in EMX, pretty impressive. And then, obviously, Van Earp as well, props to him. And Bonacorsi, you know, he's still building the points and he's so good in the sand. He's always fun to watch, blowing through those wave sections, all those guys. And they're certainly, they're fast kids. They're so, the transition to mx 2 won't be too much for them as they've shown, you know, guys like yeah, Rossi and Zanke especially. And it's frightening, the talent, isn't it, Lorenzo?
2: Yes, absolutely. It was amazing to see Ivano Vanerp uh, finally getting his first victory in a uh, 250, while he was suffering really a lot at the beginning of the season. Uh, this this kid is coming from a fantastic. He has fantastic skills and technique, and he, he was really good in 1 to 5, and even before he was winning everything in 65 and 85. Uh, now he's he was struggling a little bit. He found out uh, the, the the probably the best setup and everything uh, in the sand in uh, Uh, in uh, Latvia remember me a little bit uh, as uh, the performance of uh, the Wolf, so it was doing pretty, pretty well Uh, Andrea was not on the best day possible, but it was um, funny to see that uh, they could even do the top three, the the three step of the podium with three riders from Mutant Metal because also Reisulis was doing a fantastic race at home and he didn't went on the podium for really nothing but uh, Rossi was Unlucky with this uh, yellow flag, uh, costing him probably the victory or at least the second po- second step of the podium, and uh, a good recover on on points on Andrea. And unfortunately, he lost uh, a little bit, and now is Kai Karsemakers uh, the second force in the in the championship. So, looking forward for the next round, that will be the sixth both for EMX two hundred and fifty and EMX one hundred and twenty five. Uh, so. Both series are getting really interesting. Uh, I would just point a little bit uh, the last thing on uh, uh, Matisse Valin who went uh, uh, in the, we say Terra del Nemico is the ground of the enemy. So it was really uh, Reisul home uh, and he went there without any scare and he came out with a victory equal points. So he didn't gain nothing. But I think that mentally it was really important for him to impose uh, to his uh, title contender, the fact that uh, he wasn't able to win. Uh, reminds me a little bit uh, about Jonas that never was able to, he was never able to to step on the first po- step of the podium, uh, even while he was dominating the MX2 class for bad luck or, or different stuff. But uh, the next race in Germany is probably, uh, could be another good one for Matisse Valand that can go for the third victory in a row.
0: The crazy thing is, guys, is that that top seven, top eight in in MX 250, they're not going to be far off the top ten in in MX 2 next year, are they? I mean, yes. the top three yes. in there anyway is probably going to be battling out for you know towards the top five, and then you you got the other four there of, of Zanchi, Rossi, Bidzans, Vetic. I mean, wait, wait, it, it, just a Van Erp, cars makers, Bonacorsi, Sulis, Zanchi, Rossi. Hands, it's like uh Amphetic um, as well you and and then let's not forget the uh the bud racing is it prudineers yeah. Yeah. yeah and latter yeah and latter as well yeah Lata's put in some great performances when you think of this next generation there's a massive conveyor belt coming through in europe Hey, i mean we're yes. talking about that you you know we we you have to give um, you have to give some 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 props to to Infront for putting this this structure together because every year we think you know okay next year is not going to be as good as this year and but this next generation of kids which are coming through just seem to be getting better and better and better and when you look at EMX 250 now I mean we, we, you know there's a top top eleven top twelve there who that that's you know when you start adding those twelve into MX2 and only two riders are, are aging out in MX2. Suddenly, MX2 is looking very deep next year. Yes,
2: I totally agree. If, even if I still don't agree so much with the age rules, uh, how is is done today. Uh, I said this a uh, few times. Uh, I won't change my mind for the moment. Um, the, the, the structure goes well. That is just one point. I think they did the best job possible with the young categories, giving a good, Value to the Journey of World Championship, to the EMX uh, 65 uh, and 85, uh, both European and World Championship, uh, to give the right value to the 125 European Championship and the EMX 250. Those two championships, we were saying a couple of times ago, where you see, um, I mean, the top riders, uh, the top riders are all instructors that can easily be, in MX2 uh, or MXGP for the way they are structured. So uh, th- this is something that we are really to consider the work was done, it was done in the right way. Um, I I still have to see what the academy brings uh, to the European Championship because there's another thing where they are working hard in the past uh, and, and it's really interesting. But uh, there is then, uh, I mean, a kind of EMX 125 is fantastic. EMX 250 is even better, probably sometime better than MX2 uh, because we saw the, the level is incredible. Riders uh, like the Lucas Brothers came in, in, into MX2, they're already able to win motors. Uh, but then at the end of it is a pyramid. A pyramid as a structure is smaller on the top, of course. Yeah. So there are not so many places on top. So what all those riders will do tomorrow while they arrive at the top and there is no place for everybody with the rule of the twenty-three years old. I'm just talking about this. To me, the rule today has sense in one to five and in EMX two fifty. But then it's time to maybe look at the rule of the this rule was perfect while the EM the MXGP, the uh, top category wasn't so uh, full. Of fantastic talents. Now, today, if we keep away the injuries, we have twenty top riders there, so it is packed already. So maybe few of those they can stay in MX2 for one or two more years, you know, and then decide to step up or not. But it's my opinion, it's my idea. But the base of the pyramid is working perfectly because it's a kind of factory that is baking out talents every year and is impressive
0: yeah i agree i i think i think the time is now even if they even if they raised it to say okay we don't want to do um you know anybody um you know we don't want 30 year old guys riding um, mx2 bikes i get that but but 25 26 would be um a nice age because the riders sometimes riders develop differently uh we're all different humans so i i just think 25 26 gives a chance for those riders to um to grow to to for their bodies to change and, and everything else so um i think now and, and on that note if they want to throw in a 25 uh 25 um uh level for mx2 and uh, let's throw in some 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 uh some money as well let's let's get some yeah. prize money going Let's get that contingency from the uh from the manufacturers because there's 9 million banks around in uh, in the outdoors for um contingency yeah. and uh yeah. I had a very I, I can't say too much but I had a very good conversation with uh, a couple of people from from manufacturers in uh in France and um and they agreed they 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 couldn't give me a reason as to why there's no contingency in Europe. Well, sorry, the World yes. Championship. Because when you include yes. Indonesia, uh, the bike sales in Indonesia, the bike sales in Brazil, uh, in it's a World brilliant. Championship. Exactly. So why why haven't we got a £9 million contingency from manufacturers to help support this next generation of riders coming through? Mm-hmm. I agree. I Agreed completely. So <laughs> on that bombshell, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's wrapped it up nicely for uh, for this week um ed uh great work as always mx vice is on fire and i don't mean like a fire cell i mean fire as in it's it's going very very well um what you've done since you've come in has been has been unbelievable um credit where credit's due it's 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 incredible what you've done and in, in where mx vice is at the moment lorenzo thank you so much for spending the time to come in to do these podcast shows um really appreciate the support you and jt have been absolutely brilliant for mx vice this year and um we love having you on we love uh hearing from you and not just us but the audience loves hearing from you as well those little insights are just absolute gold nuggets um huge thank you to our sponsors um AS3 Performance Parts, the home of aftermarket motocross and enjoy parts from hardware and protection parts, including skid plates and radiator braces, to performance cooling parts, including silicone radiator hoses, oversized impeller kits. AS3 also have a huge range of brake, clutch and gear levers, all with different features and adjustability. Check them out online at www.as3performance.co.uk. Thank you, AS3. Thank you, Parts Unlimited. Thank you. Sorry, parts Europe. I'm going all American on you now. I'm um, sorry about that guys. Um, thank you very much, uh, to even strokes. If you're looking for gear parts, get over to our sister website, evenstrokes.co.uk or evenstrokes.com. And, uh, basically the money you spend on there buying your parts and gear goes into running MX vice. So, um, uh, big thanks to those A huge. Thank you to, uh, to forum X, um, for, to fly, uh guys appreciate your time um and lorenzo have a great time in germany sorry i'm not there but i will see you um in my return in locket will be a pleasure it was a pleasure to stay with you to uh, and add of course
2: uh it was a fantastic time we said about a lot and there is uh, much more to say after germany for sure It will be so looking forward to go there and to come back and uh, uh, give you some uh, insight from uh, from toy Chantal. thanks again buonanotte ciao
1: lorenzo ciao or a good day ed thanks mate cheers for having uh, having us on and yeah all the best for the weekend lads
0: boom that's uh, mx vice episode 129 Uh, is done. We'll be back with 130 next week and I think Lorenzo is keen to come back so uh, we can hear all about Tush and with Lorenzo next week so uh, stay tuned and uh, have a great weekend everyone.